Let us pray. Open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, O Lord, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. So with Philip last week and the man from Ethiopia, we caught a glimpse of the Holy Spirit's insistence on embracing the overlooked and unexpected in the body of Christ. After Philip is snatched up, snatched away by the Spirit, we read about Paul's blinding come-to-Jesus moment on the Damascus Road, followed by Peter's vision from God, in which God insists that Peter open his eyes and his heart to what and who God is declaring precious, sacred, and holy. Over the next few chapters in Acts, we hear about Peter's work and Paul's journeys as they both witness God's spirit being poured out on people from all over. The church is growing, and with growth come the inevitable growing pains. So now I invite you to listen as I read from Acts chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. I'm reading from the Common English Bible. Together, let us listen for the word of God. Some people came down from Judea teaching the family of believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom we've received from Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas took sides against these Judeans and argued strongly against their position The church at Antioch appointed Paul, Barnabas, and several others from Antioch to go up to Jerusalem to set this question before the apostles and the elders. The church sent this delegation on their way, and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, telling stories about the conversion of the Gentiles to everyone. Their reports thrilled the brothers and sisters. When they arrived in Jerusalem, the church, the apostles, and the elders all welcomed them. They gave a full report of what God had accomplished through their activity. Some believers from among the Pharisees stood up and claimed, The Gentiles must be circumcised. They must be required to keep the law from Moses. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. After much debate, Peter stood and addressed them. Fellow believers, you know that early on God chose me from among you as the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and come to believe. God, who knows people's deepest thoughts and desires, confirmed this by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. God made no distinction between us and them, but purified their deepest thoughts and desires through faith. Why then are you now challenging God by placing a burden on the shoulders of these disciples that neither we nor our ancestors could bear? On the contrary, we believe that we and they are saved in the same way by the grace of the Lord Jesus. The entire assembly fell quiet as they listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God did among the Gentiles through their activity 
When Barnabas Barnabas and Paul also fell silent, James responded. Fellow believers, listen to me. Simon reported how in his kindness God came to the Gentiles in the first place to raise up from them a people of God. The prophet's words agree with this. As it was written, after this I will return and I will rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild what has been torn down. I will restore it so that the rest of humanity will seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who belong to me. The Lord says this. The one who does these things, known from earliest times. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now you're invited to pause for a moment for silent prayer and reflection on the text. Amen. So it all sounds very Presbyterian, doesn't it? If there is a disagreement, we convene a committee to discuss it, or maybe several committees. So the process may appear dry and stilted on the surface, and yet here in Acts, we see the power of hearing one another out. A group has come from Jerusalem, the home office, so to speak, out of concern for how the church is expanding and growing. In addition to Jewish communities scattered across the known world who are hearing and responding to the gospel, Gentiles are hearing and responding to the good news of Jesus Christ as well. And almost everyone is thrilled. There is concern, however, about what it means for Gentiles to be welcomed, and not just as affiliate members, but as full-fledged members of the body of Christ. In the midst of discussion and debate, Peter speaks to his own experience and points to God's pouring out the Holy Spirit on Jews and non-Jews, on those who faithfully try their best to follow all that Moses taught to the nth degree, and those who possibly have little to no clue who Moses is. Peter points to God's saving grace in Jesus, the grace that ultimately saves all of them and all of us. And then James, who has a certain amount of clout as Jesus' brother, assures everyone gathered that this work of widening the circle has always been God's intention. He points to the prophets and insists that God has always been about restoring what is broken and rebuilding what has fallen into disrepair as part of God's desire to be in relationship with all of humanity. In Jesus Christ, the church is meant to be a people gathered from every corner to be a shining light to the entire world, the biggest of big tents held up by love, justice, mercy, and peace, not just for a select few, but for all. So the newborn church is trying to figure out what this looks like on a human scale, to discern what God might have in mind. 
What does it mean for this fledgling community that is born in the heart of Judaism to embrace and include those who have been other for so long? And ultimately, the question is not simply about who can serve as a deacon or teach Sunday school or moderate session. No, the ultimate question is one of deep relationship, of sharing stories of life and faith and struggle and fears and triumphs. And it's also a question of breaking bread together, sitting at table and sharing one another's lives. And after a year where sitting at table with others has not been safe, we know now all too well that it is at tables, kitchen tables, diner tables, picnic tables, and at this table where relationships take root and flourish. It is when we pause and sit and pray and eat that we begin to build deep and lasting relationships with strangers who are transformed into friends, even family, which is, of course, what God has intended from the very beginning. Kathy Fletcher and David Simpson discovered the power of a table almost by accident. Santi, their son, told them about a friend who came to school most mornings with an empty stomach. Santi invited his friends to his that friend to come for dinner, and he ended up spending the night on occasion. That friend had other friends. And as columnist David Brooks wrote in 2016, now when you go to dinner at Kathy and David's house on Thursday night, there might be 15 to 20 teenagers crammed around the table. And later there will be groups of them crashing in the basement or in the few small bedrooms upstairs. The kids who show up at Kathy and David's have endured the ordeals of modern poverty, homelessness, hunger, abuse, sexual assault. Almost all have seen death firsthand to a sibling, a friend, or a parent. And it's anomalous, he says, for them to have a bed at home. One 21-year-old woman came to dinner last week, he writes, and said this was the first time she'd been around a family table since she was 11. It's 10 years. 10 years without a loving parent asking who she sat with at lunch. Ten years with no loving parent or guardian listening to, to listen to stories of soccer practice or science fair projects. No one to argue with about missed curfews or be on the receiving end of dramatic eye rolls. Ten long years. As you know, one of the most distinctive practices in the church is gathering around the table. We've improvised over the past year or so. We've gathered around our kitchen tables and coffee tables on back porches and occasionally with cookies and milk in car seats, right? And I am convinced that the Holy Spirit has been fully present in these makeshift communions. Just as I am convinced that the Holy Spirit is with us now, whether we are in our socially distant spots here in the sanctuary holding our individually pre-packaged juice and bread, or whether we are in our living rooms with our wine and saltines, or our coffee and bread, or our milk and donuts. I confess that I was a bit of a curmudgeon about online communion before COVID hit. 
I wasn't quite sure if it could or should work to share this meal with us, not all in the same room. But then after a a few first Sundays passed without it last spring, I realized how deeply I missed this meal. The shared connection of messy crumbs and the occasional over-eager sloshing of juice. The sharing of bread and cup. We as a community were missing it too, and I realized how stingy I was being with my imagination and how much I was selling the Holy Spirit short. The Holy Spirit has long been at work drawing together people from different places and backgrounds to build God's beloved community. As scholar Willie James Jennings points out, the single greatest challenge for disciples of Jesus is to imagine And then enact actual together life, life that interpenetrates, weaves together, and joins to the bone. It takes imagination and vulnerability to be part of the body of Christ. Jennings talks about the challenges of forming a community of Jews and Gentiles. God has created us in a dizzying array of difference and loves us all the same. And when we answer the Spirit's call to join the body of Christ, we quickly see that not everyone speaks, eats, loves, or believes exactly the same way we do. There's a need for give and take. And inclusion, if it is genuine inclusion, changes the original group a bit. And that change can be unsettling. The Jerusalem contingent is concerned not to lose what has made the Jewish people distinctive in a diverse world. And the Pharisees, whose job it is to steward and faithfully hand on the traditions, now worry that these traditions will be washed away. But it's not an either-or path forward. Instead, the Spirit is blowing in and creating a both-and future for the entire church. Brooke started showing up at Kathy and David's table on Thursday nights in 2014, looking, as he said, for something beyond food. He marvels at the community built around this weekly gathering, a community built of people from very different, often difficult backgrounds. One week he took his daughter along and she declared that that table was the warmest place I could ever imagine. He goes on to quote Bill Milliken, a veteran youth activist, speaking about which programs turn around kids' lives. And Milliken says, I haven't seen one program change one kid's life, he says. What changes people is relationships. Somebody willing to walk through the shadow of the valley of adolescence with them. Now, it has been a while since many of us were in adolescence. Yet I wonder if this same thought might apply to the church. Because you see, adolescence is marked by dramatic changes, growing pains, as are we, the church, and the world around us. Our immediate community does not look like it once did. The world is transforming at light speed, and like the early church, we too must grapple with what it means to be faithful to the tradition that has nurtured and shaped so many of us while also opening our hearts, minds, and lives to what and who the Spirit is blowing us toward. And we cannot grapple from afar. 
We cannot do or be church by proxy, only participating when it is easy or comfortable or convenient. By the grace of God, we have been held together even through screens through a year of suffering, isolation, illness, and struggle. And I firmly believe that we can be woven into something even more beautiful and faithful in the future if we are willing to engage, imagine, and be joined to the bone, as Jennings says. Following a hard cry on the sofa one Thursday night, a young woman turned to Kathy and said, Thank you for seeing the light in me. I think being church has something to do with seeing one another's light. And to see one another's light, we need to see one another first. We need to sit together at table, listen, whether it's in person or on the phone, to one another's stories, show up during illness, isolation, grief, and yes, even fear, confusion, and anger. And then, then we just might begin to be made into something holy and new, something sacred and faithful, something that looks like the body of Christ that God has always imagined. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.